Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. You are listening to a sermon series through the second half of the Gospel of Mark, entitled, Come Die With Me. The reading is taken from Mark 12, verses 38 to 44. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the leaders of the law, teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplace and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Thanks be to God. The widow's two very small copper coins, as our reading have it. The widow's might, you know it as, don't you? Worth, well, not very much, that's for sure. And adds Jesus, the sum of her worldly wealth. In other words, by her action, she has made herself destitute. Now, we usually read this, don't we, as commending this action as an example of sacrificial giving. But I ask you this morning, is that really the lesson that Jesus wants us to learn from this? Because on the other tack, it could be seen as an example of extreme foolishness. Why, if you've got so little, do you give even that away? leaving yourself helpless, defenseless. So I want very briefly just to see if there is another way of looking at this story and seeing if there's something more that Jesus wants us to learn. What exactly do we see? Jesus is in the temple court. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you'll realize that this is continuing where Jesus began with clearing the temple courts of the traders and then with more teaching and the widow is giving to the temple it's a free will offering when you visited the temple you exchanged your roman currency into temple currency you paid the temple tax you paid for a sacrifice to be offered and now you're invited to give a free will offering and there were 13 metal boxes trumpet shaped so they're known as the trumpets And you threw in your coins. And you can imagine that the rich man's gold would make a satisfying clunk, clunk as it landed at the bottom. Whereas the poor widow's little two coins would hardly raise a tinkle. And it was to help with the upkeep of the temple. All institutions cost. You go visiting some stately homes, you know how much you have to pay for an ancient fee. If you go visiting Westminster Abbey, I've looked on the website, it's £18 to go in. Now, there is a freeway in. 
you can ask your minister to arrange for free tickets. So it's well worth, and if you're a minister yourself of any denomination, just wear your collar and go to the north door, no charge. You'll be very pleased, I know that, or you'll be very pleased to hear that, won't you? But you can arrange to get in if you know you're going to London. Otherwise, you'll be standing for 18 pounds. But that's by the by. Buildings don't come cheap. And there was nothing cheap about the temple. It was a supreme example of ancient craftsmanship. And you'll see next week, as you go into chapter 13, how the disciples admired the huge white limestone stones finished and so huge. They made a fine sight. And the, the remaining western wall, that's all that remains today, is still a site of wonder. And it was enormous. Herod the Great, who paid for this, intended to make a statement. And there was no doubt it did. And this is where the pilgrims came. Into Jerusalem, up to the mountaintop to worship. At least three, maybe four times a year. Passover, Pentecost, booths or weeks, and even Hanukkah. The Christmas, what we would call the Christmas time festival, the winter festival. Everything about the temple was intended to be spectacular. And it's not just the, peop- the, the buildings, the people too. We see Jesus complaining about the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes. They dress the part. And a high priest, if he was on duty, his robes would be studded with jewels and gold thread. They wanted to look as something else. And they were standing there, probably outside what's known as the beautiful gates. That's mentioned in Acts. This is a pair of double doors made of Corinthian bronze, which is the best bronze that was obtainable. Probably about 50 feet high, that's what, 16 meters or so. And more than that, they were covered then in plates of silver and gold. So, I mean, this is opulence on a big scale. And Jesus had already complained about the outward signs of being religious and in a heart not being right. And the point about the Pharisees going around in their clothes was obviously they didn't do any work in those clothes. No, they were being kept at the expense of the temple. That was their role. Now, where Jesus lived in Galilee, the Pharisees, they had ordinary day jobs. It was only the Sabbath that they really came into their own. So it's a different ethos. It's a different world. And you can see Jesus railing against it. What I believe Jesus is saying by his comment about the widow giving, when she in her poverty is surrounded by these riches and opulence, is that the Jews have lost their way. They believe they're very close to God. There, they could see just through that gate and through the other gate is the Holy of Holies. But he says, the reality is, God is far from them. And he was only, Jesus, going in the tradition of what many of the prophets and even the psalmists had said of old. We've just read together from Psalm 145, where we proclaim that God has compassion on all he has made. The Lord upholds all who fall. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. This was a hymn of praise that they would have sung in the temple courts. And Jesus is saying, I think, by his comment about the widow, you're only paying lip service to what you're singing about. You don't believe in a God who lifts up the poor. You're doing nothing about it. If you truly believed 
in what you sang, then you'd do something. You'd make sure that what you sang was fulfilled in practice. And this was no new voice. You can read many of the Old Testament prophets, Amos, Micah, Isaiah. They all spoke against the temple system and its sacrifices as being meaningless if there was no sign of God's justice. And just to take one example from Isaiah, in his first chapter, verse 11, I have more than enough of burnt offerings. In verse 17, learn to do right. Seek justice. And just to make absolutely plain, he says, plead the case of the widow. You see, throughout the Old Testament, the widow always stood for those in need, those who needed help. And the point I believe Jesus is making is that this widow shouldn't be giving. She shouldn't be under that expectation that she ought to give. Rather, she ought to know what it is to receive. If this truly was the house of God, then she would know something of those blessings. And she would be helped. She would be given physical assistance. She wouldn't be expected to pay what was a free will offering. It is, if you like, I believe, the litmus test of faith. It's not just what you say, it's what you do that counts. And the Old Testament is full of references. But let's turn to the New Testament and the letter of James. Because he spells it out like no one else does. In James chapter 1 and verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows. It's there again. Couldn't be clearer. That's the test. It's not what you say, it's what you do. And time and time again, it's always the widows that are seen as the crucial example. Now, Martin Luther, in his wisdom, didn't think much of James's epistle. He called it a right straw epistle, an epistle made of straw. Of course, Martin Luther's great insight was justification by faith. What you believe is what counts. And of course, he's right. If you want to be one with Jesus Christ, then you have to believe in your heart. And it's not what you do. You can't buy your way into the kingdom. That was the particular evil that he was countering. But that's not to say that James isn't as right as well. It's all very well saying, yes, we have faith, and then not allowing that to shape your lives. If our faith means anything to you, to me, then we must be seen to be doing something. And here was this widow in the temple courts with no visible means of support, no family around her, How was she to live within that community if no one was going to care for her? And what applies then applies today equally. If nobody cares, then how can you say that God is a God of love? If we don't show that love in our lives by what we do, the way we live. How can we say God is a God of justice if there is no justice to be seen? The medieval church has a bad press. There are many things wrong with it. Luther's objections to the selling of indulgences was the final straw for him in Germany. And that was a well-founded objection. Henry VIII's desire for a divorce perhaps is slightly less well-founded. 
But it led to the break with Rome, of course, and then on, inevitably, to the dissolution of the monasteries. And this, in turn, had some very unexpected consequences. And his daughter, Elizabeth, had to deal with them. For they suddenly found that the country was full of beggars, rogues and vagabonds, they described them. But essentially, these were the poor. People who'd been looked after by the monasteries were now turned out and were loose on the street. See, the monks, as part of their Christian faith, practice hospitalities. Every monastery had its infirmary or its hospital, which didn't just care for the old and the sick and the injured, but provided for the poor, for the travelers, for anybody who came to the door. Anybody in need was looked after. The hospital, of course, retains that meaning as a place to help the sick. And a hostel, a slightly changed word, as a basic place of accommodation. And hospice as a place where you can die in peace. And die that, in a great, that great medieval concept, the good death. A very positive way of seeing about life. These were havens, peace and quiet. In what was often, of course, a hostile world. Maybe I'm looking with rose-tinted glasses, but I think we lost something there which Elizabeth trying to establish the poor laws, and there were poor laws reenacted ever since right up to our modern welfare state, and we've still not, I think, got it right. Because, of course, we have to pay for all that out of our taxes. And people always resent paying tax. Here the monks had an answer, a practical outworking of Christian values. And Jesus' criticism of the temple, you see, is one based on the fact that there are the visible signs of great wealth. This bronze, this silver, this gold, these jewels, they weren't short of money. They had the means, they had the resources, but there wasn't the will. And such as this widow suffered as a consequence. I believe that they might have argued that, of course, if you've been blessed by God, that was a sign that you were right with him. And conversely, if you weren't blessed by him, then obviously you had done something to deserve that. He was withholding his blessing with good reason. Well, I believe that's a specious argument, but there you are. We come and we worship and seek to worship God in the name of Jesus, the one who replaced that temple. It's through Jesus and his cross that one eternal sacrifice through which we have access to the Father, that one sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. And it's in his name that our worship is therefore acceptable to him. We can become the people he wants us to be through Jesus and his forgiveness. And so if we take on that name of Jesus for ourselves. If we call ourselves Christian, then the least we can do is show something of that same compassion. To show by the way that we live that God does indeed love all. That he does want to lift up those who have fallen. He does have compassion on those who are in need. And so we're called to do what we can. Yes, by our giving, giving to the church here, to our missionary society, to agencies, Christian aid, tier fund, to 
whatever is your favorite charity, but also to offer ourselves in practical help to use those God-given skills to work for others by our service, by offering to help as and when the need presents itself, showing that wholehearted compassion just as Jesus did. And this, I believe, is what Jesus would have us learn from the example he points of that poor widow, that under the pressure of expectancy she gave, when truly she should have received. Where was God? Where is his mercy? Where is his love in a world like that? We are called in the name of Jesus to provide the remedy. Let's pray. Lord our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge it presents. We thank you for Jesus and the way in which he lived his life of teaching and by example. And so help us to understand what he was doing with his disciples in the temple Help us to see how he challenged the world of his day. And help us in turn in his name to meet the challenges of our day. Be with us, we pray. And strengthen us in our resolution to follow you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.